You're listening to the Tour 12 Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Heath Graham, alongside Cody Berry and Brandon Hunt. And we'll take you on a 12-month tour of occupationally living your passion in business, leadership, and life. The Tour 12 Podcast is being presented by Expedition Enterprises. Oh, yeah. What is up, Cody, the producer man? Just doing a little podcasting. It's Friday afternoon, and we're... Uh, I'm in the studio again, and one of our favorite times of the week. And we're back <laughs> again. It's we're nice back. to be back. Be you should honest. have seen Heath. He did like that whole microphone thing, like Elvis. You when know, that little guitar lick we're hits, back. <laughs> yeah, man, it just puts me in a good mood. I mean, Fridays put me in a good mood too, at least at the time of this recording. And uh, but that tune puts me in a good, good yeah. mood too. So, uh-huh. anyway, super pumped about today's podcast. It's going to be a, an awesome conversation. I think you're going to enjoy. I, I agree. But before we get there, I wanted to mention this right quick, Cody. I don't know if you're okay with it or not. Um, this is not a paid advertisement, by the way. If you haven't got your hands on one of the new bows from Expedition, from the new X series, mm-hmm. you're missing out. Yeah. Would you I, agree? I would absolutely agree because this is completely different than any of their previous bows. Yeah. It's it's all new. It's all new. Yeah. Like created an entire new yeah, it's. I mean, it's, from year to year, what we see in the archery world typically is small incremental improvements, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, you can't maybe something cosmetic here, yeah, there. It, it, totally get it. Understandable. You know, that's what I do. Yeah, myself yeah. every day. I'm trying to get better one thing at a time. Right. Right. But this year, I don't know, dude. They just they're kill. They killed it. <laughs> they like, ran all out, it's, man. It's incredible. So they got they got a new line called the X series, the X thirty, the X thirty three, the X thirty seven, and they all weigh in just under four pounds. That's crazy. And so, just the idea of being lighter than carbon and stronger than aluminum is enough to yeah. create some chatter, right? <laughs> and it definitely has. <laughs> and it did, but it was for good reason. And so, mm-hmm. I like to look at it like I think I even mentioned this on the previous podcast. Every year, the next new bow is going to come out. Mm-hmm. We're in the marketing world, so we're supposed to, supposed to say that and bring this big, big hype about it. But this is a legitimate game changer. It's mm-hmm. not just us saying that because somebody asked to say it because they didn't. Yeah. Matter of fact, they don't even know we're saying it until they listen to it right now. <laughs> but um, it's a game changer. So if you hadn't had a chance to check it out, you're going to want to take a few minutes, go to your local local bow shop, whoever's got them, yeah. and and check them out. Just yeah. give it a chance. Yeah. That's if you don't I have did. somebody close, at least get on yeah. their website and read about them. I yeah. mean, just the from you know the axle to axle length and then the yeah. new LVR cam systems and then the, the new Magnite, X-Loy oh, yeah. by Magnite. I yeah. mean, it's pretty interesting. It stuff. is. And so I've been telling people, just give it a chance. Yeah. You know, just try it up. We've had, a matter of fact, we've had a few emails come in the last week on the archery side of expedition um, with people that have been diehard Hoyt guys, diehard Matthews, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the guy at this local shop said, just give it a chance. And they walked out of there. I heard this last week. I don't know if you saw that email or not. I haven't. Walked out of the bow shop with two new expedition oh, bows because they were blown away. I've got a close buddy who's a Hoyt guy. Yeah. And um, we Brandon got to shoot it mm-hmm. um, last week and kind of do a SB review of it. You know, like right. and Brandon's a gear dude. Oh yeah. So um, so I sent that link to my buddy who's a Hoyt guy. He's like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think yeah, I think the technology and this bow is different enough that it does have the potential. Potential to turn heads, yeah. you know, to 
to even bring people across the line, you yeah. know, to yeah. a different bow. Yeah. And you don't know if you don't try. So yeah. that, that's what I'm telling people is at least put it in your hands and then tell us what you think. Yeah. Good, bad, good or bad. I, like I can it. tell you there hadn't been a lot of bad yet though. Yeah. And, uh, it's been good. So today we're, um, going to share a podcast that you recorded a couple weeks ago on a trip yes. that I didn't get to be on. Yeah, Cody didn't get to go. Cause. He told me about the trip. He's like, man, you should really try to go if you can. And I was like, I know, but we got all these deadlines. <laughs> Who's going to hit them if I'm gone? It's then, really just since he's fixing to be on the podcast, it's all Chris Cobbett's fault. <laughs> Cobbett keeps sending too much to do. Too many new things. And somebody <laughs> had to do it, and you're the only one capable of doing some of this stuff. Yeah, at that time. Well, now we got the new it, guys that can help. So, yeah. So, no, all kidding aside, I, I was in Texas. I got to share camp with a, a big part of our team was down there. Not everybody, yeah. but um, several of our crew were down there, um, including Chris Cobbett, who's, who's one of our – or he is our executive VP at Expedition Enterprises, and um, which, by the way, he may lie. He would act, might act like he doesn't like podcasts, but the guy no. likes podcasts. The dude likes to talk. Matter of fact, so. he was so excited when I asked him to come on and be the co-host because you weren't there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually kept him up till like eleven o'clock. <laughs> Cobbett never stays up. Really? Late. Anyway, and, see, uh, I, I would. I've never been in camp with him. I've not been in camp with him yet. Yeah, actually, I was one time, and he did go to bed early. <laughs> now that I think about it. But I would peg Cobbett as the guy who wants to be in the middle of everything, staying up late. Well, no, he does, but not when it comes to sleep. He likes his sleep. <laughs> Usually nine o'clock, he's going to slip out somewhere, and you're like, "Where'd Cobbett go?" He's snoozing. But in this in this situation, um, we were, we talked about recording a podcast, and we had the, the opportunity to be in camp with Tom Taylor, who is a VP at Six Hour, and. Uh, just had an incredible conversation, and Chris did get to hang out with us. He was kind of co-hosting on this show That's and cool. asked a lot of questions. And um, if you're a gun guy, you're going to love this podcast. Um, Tom is definitely a guy who is living his passion to the fullest, loving everything that he's a part of. He's a part of a massive company, and he shares a little bit about that. But I think for me, looking back, reflecting on the conversation, one of the things I appreciated about time about tom was his authenticity in the conversation yeah and i think you're going to hear that come across in this conversation so i'm excited about this podcast yeah. we've been we've been talking long enough yeah let's um, get to it let's get to it so without further ado this is that conversation with chris cobbett and tom taylor what is up welcome to the tour 12 podcast again i'm in texas with my um slightly current co-host current. chris cobbett I need this Who's job. Who's not the normal co-host, but you are because we're in Texas again. I need this job. Please be nice. You're actually really good at it, Chris, That's amongst it. other things, but you're pretty natural <laughs> Yeah, at, my at podcasting. The, you know. Full of baloney. That's that's really step one. Well, that's because you know? you're a salesman, right? <laughs> <laughs> Given the day. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. So more importantly, absolutely, we more have importantly. a special, special treat this podcast with our special guest, Tom Taylor, VP of Six Hour. Like, the fact we're even in the same room, I feel like I need you to sign something. I feel like I have a front a row seat to a train wreck right here. Right. <laughs> I put it on my Instagram. I got, like, like multiple hits. Like, there were, like, three or four people that liked it. Yeah. It's an interesting fact that uh, maybe not everybody knows. Sig Sauer is located in New Hampshire. See, New I'm Hampshire. in Maine, so Tom and I... We're in New England. He's going to deny that. He's going, oh, I'm from Turks. No, I'm a Texan, really, so let's just be clear. He's living, if you go to his house, which I don't recommend because you know, he works for a gun company, but 
He's in New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah. So he knows things are not too far from the car. You know what I'm talking about? He's in New England. Huh? And if I ever talk like that, just shoot me. <laughs> All right? So nothing personal to anybody from New England, but I'm a Texan, and I enjoy living up there. But, uh, you know, it's fun to be home. It's fun to be home hunting, you know? We yeah. didn't have to twist your arm too much. We're like, hey, no. you want to come down to Texas? And Honey's like, well, I'm yeah. going to be down there anyway. I know. Like, I didn't even know who was coming. Chris is like. Tom's coming from Six Hour. I'm like, Which Tom? is... He's like, be on your best behavior. Right. I mean, not really, but kind of, sort of. <laughs> Which is, I mean... He can he, look at me when I know it and I'd be on my best behavior, right? right? I mean, Heath only has his worst behavior to his best behavior. It's a spectrum. It's very tight. So I can tell you a little bit about uh, how we've, we've got to know Tom a little bit the last year. So because we have the given right and behind the seasons and, and, and that stuff, and, and we've had a chance... Uh, on multiple levels to work with Six Hour. So if you work your way up over there, uh, you get to meet, like, the guys, the trio. Like, so we got to spend some time with John Dane, John Brasser. Which and, is who for our listening audience? Oh, they're, they're VPs of various things at, at Six Hour. The big mucky mucks is what they are. They're right. upper echelon guys. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we've worked, we've got to work with, Tom, we haven't got to hang out with Tom yet, but both of the other guys said you really you're going to enjoy hanging out with him. So we finally roped him into coming down here and hanging out and seeing you know our knucklehead crew. So because you know so, you figured out I'm really an uptight guy here, right? That's what I'm, I'm sensing. Oh yeah, very uptight. In in terms of salsa, how would you describe yourself? Would you be a mild, <laughs> a medium, or a hot? That's classic. <laughs> <laughs> It's very important to know these things. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm somewhere probably between medium and hot. That's right. No garlic. But my label, my, my label says mild. But when you <laughs> open it and pour it out, there's some medium and hot in there. All right. It's good to know. So I think I could have I answered that for him in my little time I've known Tom. Yeah. It depends on where he is. That's here. True. He's probably mild. Well, well who, who's but not medium is, or hot in hunt camp, right? Yeah. Right. But I'm going to just guess when it comes to business and success. Probably going to creep on up in the hot level. Well, I mean, he's going to tell you. I'm sure we'll get into this. But, I mean, the brand he works for has made huge strides. It's always been a, a big brand. But it is it is forefront in the uh, in the eyes of both shooters and hunters. I know they do a ton with the military. And and uh, it's just – it's a big brand. It's good for us when we're coming down to a camp. Like, who's coming with you? We've got SIG with us. And it's kind of, <laughs> we're kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know that or not. We're riding coattails at this point. Absolutely. So, Tom, yeah. speaking of that, so, Tom, how long have you been doing this? How'd you get to where you're at? Tell us a little about Tom the person. Yeah, so I've been at SIG for six years, and uh, it has been a, a, a great experience in those six years for me, like a, a rocket ship ride. And, and for SIG, the rocket ship ride probably started earlier than that. I mean, um, our CEO, Ron Cohen, who really built what the SIG's brand is today, he started in 2004, so the SIG story sort of goes all the way back to there, and it was so dicey back then because you had this German company importing guns to the U.S., probably too expensive you know, to make it work mm-hmm. worthwhile, reasonably small company, losing money, um, so it was a mess. So our, our current owners bought the company in 2000, and they went through four or five CEOs in four years, and then they hired Ron Cohen. <clears throat> and once Ron got there, he realized he had sort of stepped in it to some degree. And there was, uh, you know, this this good brand. I mean, at this point, the 226 already existed. The Navy SEALs are using that gun. So SIG's 
Sig's reputation and quality was really already good. The German guns and the X5s and the 226 uh, MK25 SEAL gun and all those things really had a good reputation. But the success level in the United States was was really mediocre. You know, just like a really niche sort of crowd and that sort of thing. So Ron started trying to understand how can we make this a bigger brand. And it was not an easy task and probably took him you know, seven, eight, nine years to even just, I mean, think about that amount of time yeah. to really get to a point where you feel like you're starting to make a real impact and a real difference. So by 2015, you think about it, the company was launching the P320, the MCX rifle, the MPX rifle. They started launching the optics division, the ammo division. And so all these things, I think there were seven or eight things going on all at the same time. When most companies would say, I'm going to do one or two of those things, and Ron's doing all these things at the same time. And so 2015 was probably the point in which the company really began to, maybe maybe 14, 15, the company started really doing incredible, incredibly good things. And so um, you know, I got the opportunity to join the company in, in 15, and um, Ron had actually talked to me in 2010, and uh, decided at that time not to join Sig Sauer. I joined Mossberg. And, uh, you know, that was, for me at that time, it was a good decision. Mossberg is a great company. But uh, it's just been a, a, a blast to spend time at SIG and work with Ron and, you know, all the John Brasser and John Day and all the guys that you guys have gotten to know and um, sort of take a brand that really was not on the, the radar screen in the, in the U.S. especially. Internationally, SIG Sauer is a little better uh, known brand. But in the U.S., it was very niche and so to watch it go from something that, you know, was a niche brand to a, a mainstream product has been really fun. I say that, and it's really funny, because when you look at market research right now, not to get too deep into that kind of stuff, you know, at this We time, like marketing. Oh, we yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. But, but at this time of night, with as much bourbon as we drink tonight, you know, I'll uh, be a little bit careful. But, uh, but, you know, when you do a market study, we do not rank as one of the top brands in the U.S. We're not in the top several brands. So you look at brands like, Smith & Wesson almost always, for whatever reason, ends up at the top. Smith & Wesson is just a super well-known brand. It's been around since 1853. Wow. Clint Eastwood, Old West, Mob, Cops, you know, you name it. Smith & Wesson has a really great heritage, and, th and they've been up and down over the years, but they, they always seem to be the most well-known brand. And then you look at other brands like Ruger, Colt, Winchester, even even brands, especially in guns, and aren't even as well known today as they they were back when John Wayne was carrying a Colt and a Winchester rifle and those kinds of things. Those brands all rank above Sig and brand rankings. And you look at companies like Browning and Glock and, and different companies. You know, Glock has been a little bit more modern pop uh, pop culture with rap music and Hollywood yeah. and police forces and things like that. So. Oddly enough, almost every way you slice a brand study, SIG ranks below all those brands. And yet somehow we've, we've reached a point where we're the top revenue company in the world at this point. So we're selling a lot of guns, but it's not the best-known brand. That's so, interesting. So it is a very interesting situation where we sell, our products sell really well, and we do really well, and our revenue and our performance is really good. Military contracts, law enforcement contracts, you know, great success in the commercial market, but then you go out and you do some brand study. And as Ron Cohen, our CEO, likes to say, I'm just going to be happy when people can pronounce Sig Sauer right. and not say Sig Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it really happens a lot. If you talk to somebody that's not a gun guy or gun lady or whatever, and, and you hear them talk, they'll say, yeah, I'm going to get me one of them Sig Sawyers. <laughs> we're like, mm, it's called Sig Sour. Yeah. And so it's frustrating because, you know, it is a, a great product. And, and you go back 25 years ago, and the Navy SEALs started carrying the P226, and known to them as the MK25. And so it's been around for a long time. Actually, the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of facts that are not well known about Sig Sauer, second oldest gun company in the world. Wow. Beretta, you know, 500 years, one passion, greatest tagline ever maybe. So everybody knows Beretta's been around for 500 years, and that's pretty amazing that a gun's actually been around that long. Wow. But 1751, J.P. Sauer & Son in Germany was founded. It's the second, second oldest existing gun company in the world. And then the SIG, which is Swiss Industrial Group, was founded about 100 years later in Switzerland, which was uh, uh, 1853. And it was a wagon wheel company in Switzerland. And Swiss military decides they want to build a new rifle. And this, this wagon wheel company says, I think I might be able to build a rifle. And so they went after the contract, and sure enough, they won it. And so these two companies existed in 1751 and 1853 called Sauer and SIG. And then finally, in 1975, the two companies came together to collaborate on some handguns. Wow. And that's where Six Hours formed. I did not know that. No one knows that. If I, if I go into a room and I you know, talk to people and say, who knows the history of Six Hours? Nobody. Very few people know that history, that it's the second oldest gun company in the world. And you know, I'm wearing a T-shirt you know, today that's J.P. Sauer and Son, yeah. which is 1751. You know, it's the second oldest gun company in the world. It's wow. underneath a bunch of element clothing. Shameless plug. <laughs> He's so good at his shameless plugs. <laughs> so here's a question I have in all seriousness. Mm -hmm. So I like all of that. And we, we taught something to Heath today, which is good. I saw a big rainbow come up that says, now you know. But here's the thing with brands today, especially in our market. When you think of a brand that gains market share rapidly in our market, it's because it has a character, right? There's a, a personality to that company, right? You can describe it because you get a sense about it. And I think that you're, you're spot on when you talk about some of those brands that have a longer history that they're tied to the West or they're tied to Clint Eastwood or, or they have that personality, right? Go ahead. How would, you describe, <laughs> how would you describe, you know, your brand in this market? Like, what if someone was describing it in terms of a personality, what would they say about it? Like, what do you guys think that you've created? So, recently we did a lot of research on where we want to go with like our, our mission statement, our tagline, and who are we. And if you listen to Ron talk about the company and building generational guns, you know, we, we, we launched this gun with this military unit, and we learned this is the, this is the flaw in this gun, and we're going to make it better. And this is the flaw in that gun. We're going to make it better. And this military contract and that military contract. So the DNA of the company is all about the military. And so when you listen to Ron make speeches and talk to groups and things like that, the words that came to our mind was never settle, which is, as I think you guys know, is our mm -hmm. tagline today. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I've got a Gen 1 MPX and a Gen 3 MPX. They're not backwards compatible and this, this, that, and the other thing. And so it's... Consumers sometimes get a little frustrated with our company that, well, I, I wish all your products were, were compatible. Like if I buy components or accessories or you know, if I want to get my gun worked on or whatever, that, that it's consistent across time. And so, you know, Ron will always say, I will not apologize for trying to always make our products better. 
And so, you know, we've, we've had, we've had a lot of learnings from military contracts, from, from issues we found with our guns and different things like that. And, and if there's a way to go in and make those guns better, even if it renders previous generations, you know, not compatible with future generations, you know, and, and he makes the example sometimes is like, if you buy a, you know, a 1999 model of a car and a 2005 model of a car, they're not going to be compatible with each other. They're different, and, and you know that. And if you buy this generation or that generation, they're not compatible. And why, But why do we expect guns forever to be compatible with each other? And it's just not the way we necessarily look at things. So so the, the personality, the brand, we don't have that sort of, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have that sort of John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, you know, <clears throat> um, you know, with Glock, it's a little bit more pop culture you know, Hollywood, you know, those kinds of things. There's no consistent theme around SIG that says, okay, we had this benchmark branding moment. But what the company has had is like the, is a history of quality, you know, and, and not a lot of people know 25 years ago, 25 plus years ago, the MK-25 or the, the P-226 was chosen by the Navy SEALs. It was all part of the U.S. military contract debate between the Smith & Wesson, the Beretta, the M9, M92, that won, ultimately won mm-hmm. the contract, the P226. But it didn't win, but it was a very good gun and ended up being selected by the Navy SEALs. So if you talk to a lot of SEALs that served for many, many years and most of the, the generational guys that served in the early current conflict, they all swear by the P226 because that's what they carried. You know, and in their vernacular, yeah. it's the MK25. And so we, we do have that heritage of the Navy SEALs and that sort of thing. But, but in America, there's not a benchmark moment where you see John Wayne waving his SIG around, you know, mm-hmm. or Clint Eastwood waving a SIG around. So, so that's what we're striving for right now is we have won the U.S. military contract with the M-17 and then the Marine Corps, among other military units, are carrying the M-18 and that sort of thing. So we think, you know, whether it's two years from now or three years from now or five years from now or whatever – the brand is going to continue to grow and it's, it's a sort of a nomenclature in America and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, what we have sort of driven the stake in the ground on is quality and not compromising or never settling, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. And, and that's sort of, uh, you know, where we are right now. We, we, we want to try and have the highest quality brand and, you know, you talk about our people and you've mentioned some of the people that you've Absolutely. gotten a chance to know. And, uh, you know, if you work for SIG, it's not the easiest company to work for because it is a passionate sort of like long hours. Never you know, good enough. Never good enough. And, <laughs> yeah. and if you work for Ron, like I said, it's, it's, uh, and he, he works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Phone rings at eight o'clock at night on a weekday, seven o'clock, you know, eight o'clock on a Saturday morning, whatever. He's always thinking, always calling you, always saying, hey, what if we did this? What about that? I saw this. So you better be a passionate person or, you know, you're not going to you're not yeah. going to make it sick. Can you give us some for our listening audience, some background on Ron? You've mentioned Ron multiple times now. Mm-hmm. Give us on a, just a quick version of who Ron is. What's his background? Mm-hmm. He runs sick. Before Tom answers that, let me tell you, I've met the guy. Yeah. He's the smartest, scariest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Hold on. Is Ron going to hear this? He I probably him, will. <laughs> I would tell him, but then I would run away. He, he's super intelligent. Right. He's driven. 
he I think he embodies everything that you know he's obviously a, a charismatic leader people he's pushing forward he's constantly demanding perfection and that's what you need for a company that's going to make stuff to where people's lives are on the line but to listen to him talk I, and he was just in honestly with me he was just telling me like stories about from his childhood and I'm just thinking the whole time like I would never mess with this guy. Like I would never ever cross this guy. <laughs> and he in his office is like was the coolest office and. ever. He's got an office <laughs> where every product they make is literally under lights, wall to wall. It is again. It it also makes you feel like I would never mess with this guy. <laughs> so yes. So then now Tom can talk about it. Yeah. So his background is super interesting. Uh, Ron is Israeli. Uh, grew up in Israel. Spent enough time in America as a, a, a young person to sort of understand some of the culture, but he's back and forth, uh, fulfilled his two-year military um, commitment in Israel, but then went on to serve additional years in the Israeli military. And, you know, it's funny when you listen to him tell stories, because when, when, when you're a, a great American and you volunteer for military service, as we do, and you get on a plane and you fly over to some distant land and so forth, Ron tells a story in Israel. When you go to the front line, you get on a bus and you ride like an hour and a half and you have 50 million people surrounding a country of 9 million people. And, you know, so you know what he grew up in. You know, mm -hmm. his, his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather and so on, they all dealt with adversity in Israel. And so he grew up around that, but he had a, a, a good dose of America, if you will, you know, the golf ball salesman <laughs> story he tells and those kind of things. So, you know, Ron definitely has a good perception of America, but... Uh, you know, he definitely has a different perspective and take on things and, and served his time in the, in the Israeli military. And so I would say that, you know, first and foremost, Ron, you know, grew up in the military and, and has a lot of, of incredible learnings. And like I said, you know, when you're defending your homeland, it's not like you're going over fighting a war on some foreign soil. You're protecting your home, which is an hour and a half over your right shoulder. So that's a whole different perspective of what you're fighting for and what you're living for. And so we fight for our freedom here, but you're fighting for your home an hour and a half away over there. And so he, he grew up in that environment. Um, so that was first and foremost. And, and throughout those times in and out of the, the Israeli military, when Ron was a young man, he also got his engineering degree. So he's an engineer second. And uh, not a lot of people know this, but, uh, you know, they don't look back on the history of Ron Cohen. But uh, many years ago, Ron went to a company that made high-end hunting rifles and so forth called Kimber. Yeah. Did not make a 1911, and Ron took them a uh, proposal to make 1911s, and uh, a few years later became the CEO. And you know, I think now we would all say Kimber 1911s are probably the, one of the leaders in the I've market. Heard of them you heard before. of that company? I've never heard of them. Right? <laughs> so they did not make 1911s before Ron got there. So wow. he he got there, introduced 1911s, and then uh, went on to run the company. And then in 2004, he came to Sig, and quickly began to realize that this whole model of importing guns from Germany and selling them for a really high price was not a good business model. And he, it's really funny to hear him tell old stories about SIG, how he walked in there trying to sell, like, Turkish shotguns and SIG T-shirts and whatever they can do to try to scrape up a dime to, to, to literally make a company survive in America. And then when you look, you fast forward five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, what, what he's been able to, to, to lead. And if he were sitting here doing this podcast right now, he, he would defer every question you had that he didn't do any of it. It's all about the people he surrounded himself with and, you know, the people who uh, helped make SIG what it is today. And that's true. He's been able to recruit and hire really good people. You don't make great companies without hiring and, and yeah. good people and doing that. But, but uh, there's been one constant 
that has built this company called Six Hour, and it, it's Ron. And so, you know, I, uh, I've been in this industry for uh, about 16 years. I spent five years at Smith & Wesson, five years at Mossberg, and now I've been at, at, at SIG for six. So I used to kid about people. I hope I'm not on the five-year plan with every company <laughs> I'm at, but, uh, but I've made it past five years, and so I've been with Ron for about six years now. And, um, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting to understand what you said. You know, sometimes he's a little intimidating, and people don't know exactly how to take him because he's so driven and so motivated. But he is a a loyal, passionate, you know, in, incredibly sharp. I mean, it's almost condescending to say he's a sharp guy because it's it's clear how sharp he is. But uh, he drives this loyalty and this passion amongst his employee. And you know, I've shared as I've shared with you before. You know, not everyone can can survive there. It's a it's a it's a work environment that you better be able to really run fast and work hard and keep up with. Uh, you know, no matter how good you are at your job, you better be able to run pretty fast and. And keep up with uh, with the questions he asks, the challenges he throws down in front of you. I've always said, uh, you know, but prior to my 16 years in the gun industry, I spent 21 years at the Coca-Cola company. I started on a route truck, and yeah, you were telling me, yeah, that. yeah, I worked my way up through the Coca-Cola company, and um, in 2004, I was able to leave that uh, that industry and, and get into the gun industry, and I've never looked back. It's been the greatest experience in my life, and just absolutely. You know, part, some of the reason for your podcast is sort of understand, like, with the passion that we have for this industry. Yeah. And immediately, and, and you know, when I look at, and, and I don't mean to offend anybody that's listening, but, you know, whether you sell insurance or whatever you do in your, your livelihood, you know, sometimes it's a little bit hard to be passionate about what you do. Yeah. But coming to this industry and being able to, to work with firearms and hunting and self-defense and military and all the, the cool things that we get to do, you know, it's, a, it's an industry that's, that's very passionate. But being able to not be an expert in sales and marketing, for instance, and that's not Ron's background. He's never a sales and marketing guy. And I spent my whole career working for one of the greatest brands in the world. Worked at Smith & Wesson, worked at Mossberg, had great experiences there. And, and I showed up at, at SIG and began to work with Ron. And for a guy who can ask you a question that you have to kind of double take and say, man, damn it, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that question he just asked me. Here's a guy who doesn't have a background in sales and marketing, but he can still challenge you and make you think, why did I think of that? Why, why didn't I yeah. think of it from that direction? Um, you know, that, that was one of the greatest skill sets I remember from some of the great leaders of the Coca-Cola company. You know, these are Fortune 500, mm-hmm. best company in the world, and they're able to look at you and be toe deep in your business, but still know how to challenge you and ask you the right questions. And I didn't find that in the gun industry until I got to Ron and, and have him be able to challenge you and, and say, Hey, why didn't you think of this? Or what about that? Let's think about this. And so every day it's a challenge, whether it's, he's an expert in engineering and manufacturing and the military business. And like I said, his sales marketing background is, you know, very, very, uh, you know, low level, if you will, right. you know, from his experience or background. But I've been doing it my whole life, 40 years in the workplace. And he still asks me questions every, <laughs> almost every day. And I was like, damn it. How oh, yeah. I think you of get, that. You get so, pushed tonight, so, yeah. so it's, a, it's a really good experience to work for somebody like that. And it makes me better. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of look at it like uh, I make the analogy all the time that, that working at SIG and, and, and working for Ron is almost like playing for the New England Patriots. I'm not sure, you know, everybody loves Bill Belichick. Right. 
but you darn sure want to play hard. You don't make mistakes. You win Super Bowls. You know, and you end up somehow in this fraternity of being a New England Patriot. And oh, by the way, you've won six Super Bowls. Right. And so, you know, it's not necessarily always, you know, he's a player's coach and everybody loves him and all those things, but he, he creates loyalty and passion. And you don't jump off sides, you don't make stupid mistakes, and you win Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that I look at Ron. He, he creates those sort of, that sort of like winning Super Bowl team. Yeah. So I'll answer my own question from earlier. Because outside looking in, and we deal with, you know, we deal obviously the firearms industry because we, in the many brands that Heath and I work with, you know, um, you know because of the given right and, and behind the scenes and all this stuff we do, you know, we deal with companies that uh, have character. And if I was to describe the character of your company, I would say precision, you know, because mm-hmm. of the military contracts and the marketing that you guys have done about those right not even to the military but to the non-military to the guys that are shooters and hunters they know about it right Mm -hmm. and so when they look back at those things they get the sense that the brand is constantly seeking perfection Mm -hmm. right and again that comes through charismatic leadership and when you were describing that of course Heath and I are looking at each other like yeah, we work with a guy like that. Sounds like, kind of familiar. Right, like our, par- our partner, Mark Hack, like that's how he is. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we come up with stuff all the time. And then, you know, he was successful outside of the hunting industry probably because he has that same type of mentality. So we understand that. You know, we think we had a good idea until we tell him. And then he's like, and then we go back and go, maybe that wasn't a great idea or there's something mm-hmm. we could do better. But we, so we get it. Mm-hmm. But when I think about the character of Six Hour, I think about per, that constant push for precision not mm-hmm. even perfection but precision that everything is done to a meticulous level and i think it, it goes back to you know the work with the military and the military contracts because we like to to make products that are great because they're getting used but a lot of our stuff ends up in the recreational market they're making products that at the end of the day people's lives are on the line and mm-hmm. they have to work the best that they can because it's going to either save their life or not yeah. And uh, to have that level of perfection and precision, you know, that's your pressure mm-hmm. that pushes you, right? So you never get to settle, right? Yeah, because 100%. Just, just because your consumer, who you're, who you're selling to or who's using your product, demands that it has to be as the best it can possibly be. Well, here's a concept that, that, you know, is something that exists at Six Hour. Whose life is more important, a Navy SEAL's or yours? Mm. So if you think about that for a minute, is, is, is you as, as, as Mr. Joe consumer, is your life less important than a Navy SEALs? And yes, a Navy SEAL is protecting our country and all those things. But when you live your life every single day, whose life is more important, your spouse, your kids, yeah. or, or protecting America? And so we set up this sort of philosophy that whether you're, you know, we don't tell our assembly team, our quality inspectors, our range guys, you know, because every gun gets shot and all those things. We don't tell people this gun is being made for this unit and this gun's being made for that person or it's a commercial unit. Now, there may be things like it gets extra magazines or things like that. You can kind of figure out this gun might be going to a military unit or whatever, but, but a gun doesn't go down the line and people say, okay, give this gun more care because it's going to a military unit or a law enforcement team or whatever. The same amount of, 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 of quality and 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 quality checks and checkpoints and all those things go into each gun, each and every gun that's going down the line at, at six hour. And it's a lot of guns these days. You know, we, we have a very significant 
um, production number. I mean, I don't want to share any numbers today right now, but, but it's, it's a, a lot. It's a lot of guns, <laughs> especially in today's market. It's yeah. a lot of guns. And, and our first time through rate, which is something our guys are, are measured on, and our, our, our performance on the range, our quality testing, and all the measures that we have, there's no different measures for, for any unit. Now, what has happened, though, with the advent of winning the M17 military, U.S. military contract with the P320 or the M18 or whatever, we've had to build DCMA offices in our building where Army inspectors are in the building, and we have a little cage in the back of the assembly area where all the M17s and M18s are built. And so they go back there, and if there's a uh, such thing as a uh, quality inspector slash proctologist, I mean, those guys are making sure that we're doing everything we're supposed to do, <laughs> and, and we always get really good grades. But to be honest with you, we're not doing anything differently with U.S. military guns than we do for all the guns that we built. There's no, like, this gun's going to get significantly more testing, or this gun's going to get significantly more quality standard than, than one gun or the other. So, um, you know, people listening to this can believe that or not believe it, but, you know, I'm in the company, I, I'm in the factory on a regular basis, and I see the way that we approach things. I read reports, I go to our, you know, our, our, our uh, uh, ISO sort of like quality certification meetings and so forth and and it is a standard that that goes across the entire company that every gun that gets built has the same kind of standards whether it's going to mm -hmm. a, a special forces unit a u.s military unit international military unit law enforcement uh, uh organization or a consumer because nobody's life is less important than the yeah, others absolutely. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it's it's really it's really something that i'm very personally proud of to be involved in the organization an inter interesting point about sig sour is at 30 about 35% of our employee base are veterans. Wow. And so I don't know if a, you know, I'm sure companies cool. can brag about whatever their percentage of veterans are, but that's a lot of people that served our country yeah. and, and work for our company. And they take so much pride in the fact that they are veterans. And so, so it's a, it's a big percentage of our workforces are veterans of our country. And so it's something that really is a, a matter of pride for our company. Yeah. yeah. And it's a huge deal. I mean, we're, Let's let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, we're, you're making a weapon. We're not making washing washing machines dryers. Um, if somebody has to to use that or they pull it up, it's because somebody's life is on the line. Whether it's a, a police officer, or, you know, somebody in uh, the military, or it's a person defending their home, you know, or an animal, or an animal. Like we're That's absolutely the true. <laughs> But it has, it, out there. it has to matter, yeah. right? And you don't get to pick when the guy on the assembly line builds this gun and they know that someday this is going to make the difference between life and death for somebody. And But if you knew that, you'd, you'd take extra care, right? You say that to yourself. But the reality is that these guys are building every gun with that philosophy. That this is going down the line, whether they don't make a distinction between military and, and personal yeah. life, that's huge to know, right? That, that somebody made that took that care of it. We, we say that a little bit, you know, um, on the other side, you know, we, we make expedition bows, best bows on the planet. <laughs> but, uh, Sig didn't have to say that. I'm right. Just throwing so, that out there. so we always say, uh, look, uh, we agree. We just, agree at 100%. 100 he just threw okay. revenue out. Right. Thought, I mean, so, <laughs> but we, we make the bows of the plant. When the guys make the bows right. of the plant, we always say, you never know the product that you make is going, the guy's going to come to full draw on the animal of their dreams, the hunt of their lifetime. So build it like you knew that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you guys have that same philosophy. The difference is yours is so much more, you know, it matters, right? Yeah. Like it's so, it's, mm -hmm. it's life. 
It's more than just an it's, animal. Right. It's, yeah. it's not somebody enjoying their hobby. It's somebody defending their home, their country, yeah. uh, the laws of this country. Like, that's just huge, right? That, 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 uh, that level that they have to achieve is just such a higher standard. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so let's, let's go a different direction for a minute. Good. We're, we're, we all got our <laughs> headphones on. And we're listening to each other talk. And, and we're seeing Kumbaya, and we're talking about how great SIG is and how great, you know, your, your guys' products are, which they are, by the way. Um, but let's be real for a minute. We have issues. You know, and, and Ron will be the first to tell you, you show me somebody who doesn't make mistakes, and I'll show you a failure. Yeah. Right? If you're not willing to get out there and make some mistakes, um, you're going to fail. You're ultimately going to fail if you're not willing to get on the leading edge and try and do new and different things, innovate and create P365s with, you know, with 10-round magazines and the cross rifle, you know, having a, 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 you know, an innovative hunting rifle and all these things that we do. And so, you know, people listening to this are saying, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. The SIGs had this mistake or that mistake. And we have. You know, we, we've had these issues with our company with the, the growing pains of the P320, the growing pains of the 365, the growing pains of the cross rifle. When you innovate and when you launch stuff like that, you're going to have issues. Mm-hmm. And so... When we talk, you know, in Ron's office and, and he you know, he says, you know, it, I want my people to challenge me. I want us to, to try new and innovative things. And I want it to be okay to make mistakes. And even though, you know, you've talked about how scared you are of Ron, you don't <laughs> want to make a mistake because Very he might scared. he might uh, take his katana in his office and cut your head off. But <laughs> He wouldn't have to do anything. He just have to talk to me. Yeah, so, so that, 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 that very well may happen. Um, but, uh, but, you know, he challenges you to push the envelope. So, and you might make a mistake when you push the envelope. But the real question is, how do you, how do you deal with that mistake? Do you own it? Right. Do you fix it? And so, you know, the, a good example, you know, and I, I just hate bringing this kind of stuff up three years after the fact, but the 320 drop issue, you know, that a lot of people that are listening to, to this may have heard about or read about or whatever. But, you know, we did a voluntary upgrade on the P320. The gun had won the U.S. military contract. It passes every standard known to mankind in terms mm-hmm. of drop safety and those kinds of things. But some internet knuckleheads found a way right, to, okay. to, 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 to drop the gun from six feet and make the gun go off and these sorts of things. And so, um, you know, we could have we could have probably found some ways to look the other, other way or talk about other companies' issues. Mm-hmm. And this gun did this and this gun did that. And we chose not to do that. We chose to say, okay, if you don't believe in the 320, send it back to us. And our engineers found a way to make it a little bit better. And if you want to drop it now from a, I'm not going to make examples because I don't go going out and <laughs> throwing their guns off buildings yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So we won't go there. But, but uh, you know, once we brought the 320s back in, did the voluntary upgrade, and all the people that were out there hitting the back of their guns with mallets and trying to make their guns go off, we kind of said, you know what, if that's what you really want to do, go try that now. After yeah. the voluntary upgrade, go try to hit your gun with a mallet. Go try to drop it. Go try to do this and make it go off. The fact of the matter is, guns can guns are a mechanical, you know, object. Malfunctions can happen. Some of the older guns, the legacy guns, there's a lot of things you can do to guns that you can drop them, you can do this, you can do that, and, and they, they may go off. There's things that can happen. But we said, you know what, if that's what the blogosphere said was a problem, then let's go figure out a way to make sure that the blogosphere can't do that. And, and since we did the voluntary upgrade on the P320, go find any blogger who's been able to do all the garbage they were doing to guns that were just kind of dumb, yeah. but still something you could do that weren't real life. And, yeah. and, you know, there really are, 
very few examples, if any, of the 320 having a real life drop discharge problem. I mean, there's lawsuits where, unfortunately, law enforcement have had accidental discharges, which happen with all guns, by the way. But, you know, just to be really brutally honest and, you know, that's what we can do on podcasts because yeah, you know, we, can, we can talk about these sorts of things. But, you know, let's be honest, you know, where police officers handle guns every day. And if they have an accidental discharge, it could impact their, their livelihood. So, you know, they want to say, oh, my gun just went off or these sorts of things. And so we've tried to build products that when, when something is a possible flaw, possible flaw, let's see if there's a way we can make it better. Yeah. And, and sometimes we get criticized. And, you know, I think what I would say, what Ron would tell you is, you know what, if you want to criticize us for trying to make our products better, criticize us, but we're going to make them better. Yeah. One of the best examples was the, the MZX rifle. This gun is in use by the Navy SEALs. It's in use by the British, British SAS. It's in use all over the world by some of the highest end special forces units. And if you've ever shot one as a consumer, the MCX is a great product. We were in competition for a, uh, the French military contract, which we didn't win, by the way. And they, we said, you know, why didn't we win? And they gave us some feedback. And so our engineers went back and said, you know what? Valid feedback. We're going to go back and we're going to go back to, the, to explore a few things. We're going to try to fix it and make it better. We made a number of changes to the MCX rifle after the French military contract, which we didn't win. Nobody, very few people know that. Yeah. I didn't even know the French actually used real guns, but, you know, so, <laughs> sidebar, they do. They actually do use real guns in France. But, but the point was, you know, they have some really sharp people there who really, you know, when they do have a military and they do have special forces and they explored the different guns and we didn't win that contract, but, but they gave us some really valid feedback. And we said, let's go see if we can make this gun better based on that feedback. And we did. And it's a better gun today than it was before a contract that we lost. Well, it, yeah. it boils down to that, that philosophy. Are you, are you playing not to lose or are you playing to win? And if you're playing to win, you're going to push the envelope push of innovation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's, that's a philosophy because there are people that they play it safe, they, they play in the background, but they're not pushing innovation, they're mm-hmm. not playing to win. If you're playing to win, you put yourself at risk, mistakes are made, you correct them because ultimately at the end of that, you're better than, than you would have been. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. so here's a question I have. What crazy idea did you have to just like, hey, let's go get into the hunting market? Why'd you get into the hunting market? I like to hunt. <laughs> I saw that <laughs> earlier. No, 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 no. So, you know, when you, when you begin to build a company and, and, we have optics for hunting, we have ammunition for hunting, we have suppressors for hunting, but we didn't make a gun. I mean, yeah, you can hunt with our ARs and you can hunt with handguns and things like that, but we didn't truly make a hunting gun, and we're a gun company. At the end of the day, that's our DNA. And so, you know, we know that we have really good product managers who understand hunting rifles. We have, uh, you know, in our, our military team and our professional shooters and that sort of thing, we have some of the best rifle shooters in the world we have military folks who were part of some of the special forces units who are some of the among the most decorated snipers in the world that work for us at six hour we have competitive shooters i mean i'll say his name daniel horner Mm -hmm. daniel horner has won sniper world sniper competitions you know the guy knows so much about about bolt action rifles and so forth and so we said you know what 
maybe we should use some of this experience that we have to build a bolt-action rifle. And rather than going the easy route and building a sniper rifle or PRS rifle, we said, let's start in hunting because that's the most common usage of a bolt-action rifle. And so you know, we thought about, do we build sort of a standard, you know, standard stock, standard bolt-action rifle, or do we go a different direction, build a chassis gun, or do we do something totally different? And so that's where really the, the discussion about the cross rifle was born. And some of the, the early planning meetings of the cross rifle where you have one of the most decorated military snipers in the history of the U.S. military sitting in the room. And you have a multi-U.S. sniper champion sitting in the room. And you have all these other people who have experience with bolt-action rifles sitting in the room. And they're debating and you know discussing, like, what would you do for a rifle? We came up with cross-concept with folding stock with a uh, one-piece receiver rather than a chassis and uh, but you know the the AR style or chassis style bolt action rifle is a super popular platform mm-hmm. and so let's start there and it's something we're not necessarily 100% comfortable with and let's do that gun and so so that's where this conversation sort of said if we're going to make hunting ammunition and, and hunting optics and all these things we probably at some point should get in the, the gun game and, and be part of that. And so, you know, we, we have plans to expand the cross rifle line into long actions and and PRS rifles and that sort of thing, and even standard bolt action rifles. But uh, if we're going to be, you know, one of, if not the, the leading gun companies in the world and to not engage in the hunting market was foolish. And, and I know you've, Chris, I know you've shot a lot of. Uh, I was going to say, out of all them people you mentioned, <laughs> and you've got Chris Cobb. So, so, so Chris I, may or may not have a few rounds downrange with a cross rifle. I'm just trying to keep up with Kenneth and Mark. Oh, those boy. guys crush it. <laughs> so you know, it's accurate, it's compact, it's a light. Uh, it, it has so many really positive things about it, and and I love it. But I work for the company. I'm I'm you know I'm a little uh, we call them uh, homers uh, in Arkansas. Yeah, I'm a homer. I'm a, I'm a little bit skewed in that, <laughs> so homer. I think it's incredible. <laughs> and you know, so I was involved in, in the development of the gun, so uh, I'm a little partial. But you know, we put it in your hands, and and you know, you're a technical hunter. You're you're an archery guy. And archery people, and I don't like to say this because I'm a gun guy, but you guys know hunting. You know, you you have to be at the top of the game in the hunting world to be an archer, right? It's just, it is what it is. You can, you can shoot animals from a long way away with rifles and even handguns, which I've done a lot of hunting, handgun hunting in my life. Um, but archers are, are some of the most technical, smart people, and so that's a big piece of your background. And so when we put the cross rifle in your hand, and you're like, wow, this is really a good platform. And then we, we got to know each other very well. Yeah. And, and so we said, let's start with something that's very unique and very different and, and understand if it works. And the fact that you can slap that gun in a sheath in your backpack or Velcro it to the side of your backpack, especially if you're a Western hunter or somebody who's having to, you know, lug around a 45 pound backpack or whatever. Um, it's a very unique platform and something that we're going to build on. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things it's uh, the accuracy is amazing. And that was what, that was one of the standards that these guys who are like world, world-class, uh, you know, long-range shooters or snipers said, it's like, it's got to have accuracy. And so I'll, I'm really looking forward to our PRS cross, but. Uh, we should really have a good conversation with, uh, so Kenneth and Mark, our show host there, Kenneth is a, is a meticulous guy in turn. He's like a, you know, talks about all the numbers and all the. He's a gun guru. He's a gun guru. For a hunting he loves industry. that stuff. Now, Mark 
is all about that stuff, but he, he will not use something that he doesn't like. He doesn't like it. I don't like it. It would have never worked. He would have put it mm-hmm. back in the box and said, well, that was a great try, guys. We're going to go do something else. And those guys love it. And they love mm-hmm. it because they're both super high demanding mm-hmm. of, of the equipment that they use. And they beat the hell out of them. They go everywhere. They're out west. They're, they're hunting whitetails, but they're hunting all of the stuff in the most demanding terrain. And the gun worked flawlessly mm-hmm. every single place that we got it. And I know that Tom and uh, John and John, they both were hating us all fall because between myself and Kenneth and Mark, really like every week we're sending pictures. Yeah. And they're like, Stop. yeah, guys, thanks for another picture <laughs> with the cross. I damn near blocked your texts <laughs> with all the picture you were sending of uh, all the crap you were killing all over the place. But yeah. We wanted to let you know how hard we were working for you. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 absolutely a sub moa gun and and it's a short barrel um folding stock compact platform i mean i mean the 308 folds to a 25 inch package when you fold that stock over it's 25 inches and if you think about that two rulers you know that you can put in your backpack or whatever and then when you but when you unfold that thing you're not compromising accuracy or or what or whatever and the weight is six and a half pounds and um so the platform is is has been has already proven very successful. So um, we just don't want to enter. You know, we we have really sharp engineers. We have the largest en- engineering staff in the industry. And if you do the math of the public companies, we can look at like how many engineers they have and what their numbers are. We have somewhere between three and four times the number of engineers versus the next largest gun company. Wow. So we spend so much time and effort in engineering. And so with that, you know, we take our guys and we say, let's, we could build anything we want. We can build a shotgun. We can build revolvers. We can build this. We can build, we can build, we can, we could have built a pocket pistol, uh, a striker fire pickup pocket pistol years ago that would have competed with all the top pocket pistols on the market. We didn't want to do that until we came up with an innovation. And yeah. we said, what's the number one thing people want in a pocket pistol? Number one thing is capacity. So that's what born the, the 365. And number two is shootability. And so people would tell you that the 365 has both. It's the most shootable pocket pistol on the market. And it has 10 plus one or 12 plus one or whatever right. in, in terms of the capacity of the gun. It's about and, demand, though. I mean, you, you, you know what's out there. So I can tell you right now, and Heath can back me up on this, because we, we live this every day. We live the hunting community. I and mean, we don't know. I like, I like to shoot guns, and I like to think I know a little bit about it, but I our bread and butter is the hunting community. And I can tell you that the hunting community was like, just so excited about the fact that six hours is going to make a hunting rifle, right? They, they know the reputation of the company. They know they, they make great stuff. They're coming, they're coming into our space, right? Like it's, it's welcomed because it, you guys hadn't been in there before, mm-hmm. right? Like they're making stuff and, or the guys that were hunting with SIGs, they were just kind of taking a product that you already had and they were making it work for what mm-hmm. they wanted. But to come in and say, we're going to make a product, that fits your market, the people in that market, obviously we're welcoming it with open arms, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, my local gun shop, the fact that we told them we were doing some stuff with Six Hour, I didn't even tell him. Like, I, it's like some pistols were coming or whatever. And he's like, yeah, can you get the cross rifle? Because <laughs> he's a hunter, you know? And they all wanted to see the hunting yeah. rifle. The hunting rifle, the buzz around it was exactly what you want when you enter a market, that the people in that market we're, we're ready and excited to receive that product into their space. And that's, in terms of marketing, uh, that's a home run. You know, all you have to do is go and not screw that up. You know, well, it's, they really, want it. it's really been funny because we, 
as I've talked with you about before, Chris, we, we have um, more or less, we've not necessarily recruited the top gun hunting television shows. I mean, I'm air quoting things here while we're doing podcasts, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, but, you know, and no offense to you know, high personality gun you know, TV shows. The market or, or the influencers that we pursued were to be, and I'm not sucking your flavor here, but we went after archery people. I was fixing to say that. You're sitting here talking to an archery manufacturer. So, yeah. so yeah. yourself and Corey Jacobson with Elk, Elk 101 and Born and Raised and a lot of the people that we, we pursued as our influencers. And 2021, we're going to be launching. We, we started with seven or eight sort of archery folks that, that really came on board and said, wow. I'm not really a gun guy, but let me let me get into this, and and they've they've come all in, and they they they're loving the cross and so forth. But um, we are about to launch close to 30 influencers, and most of those people are coming out of the archery world. Wow! And 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 they understand the technical side of hunting. They understand what it's like to get up close and personal with an animal, and that sort of thing. And so the the technical side of being able to talk about the the attributes of a of a product, not a gun, but a product. What makes it good? Why? Why do you use it? What's it for? You know, what are those kind of things? And so it's a, it was kind of a unique approach. We, you know, and, and no offense to Michael Waddell or Lee and Tiffany or any of those great, you know, people who have been like yeah. iconic in the, the sort of the, the gun hunting world and archery to some degree, but uh, more well known for guns. Um, you know, we said, okay, we could go buy out their, their savage contract or their, you know, Remington contract or whatever it was. But we said, let's, let's go after people who really understand how to talk about the, the, as you talk about every year, you got to be innovating in the oh, archery yeah. world. Absolutely. And, and so those people better understand how to talk about innovation and, and the unique attributes of a product. And so whether it's a BDX optic system or ammunition or our, our, our new firearm or whatever, we said, we need to work with people who can really talk about those attributes. And, and so you know that's kind of the way we did it. And by the way, those people—if they—if the product wasn't gonna wasn't good, they weren't going to endorse it. They weren't mm-hmm. going to talk about it because they need performance and they need to be able to to um, have a lot of the things that they need to be successful. And maybe they weren't, you know, gun people at their core. They they really enjoy. You know, if you're an archer, and I'm not an archery hunter. I've never have been. You know, it's too you hard. Maybe before this yeah, is over, I may be. Uh, you may recruit start. me, but uh, but I've hunted a lot of handgun hunting. All the hunting. other guys at six so, expeditions. So yes, they do. I know that, and I'm getting a lot of pressure here from a lot of people. But uh, you know, I I I, I've handgun hunted a lot, and that's the that's the tweener, you know. So rifles, you know, the the quotes easy thing, and then archery is the hard thing, and then handguns are somewhere in the middle. I've done a lot of of handgun hunting from my days at Smith and Wesson and so forth. But uh, but you know, the archery world is extremely critical of of needing the best equipment, innovation, those sorts of things. So we really focused on, on bringing the archery folks into the gun world. And, and it's, I'm, to, to be honest, I'm as passionate as archers are, I'm very surprised yeah. we've gotten enough people to sort of come over and say, you know what, this is a really cool thing. And we've got people doing gun hunts who have really not been in that world. I mean, it's not been a big deal. And I know you guys have been more involved in archery and black powder and those kind of things. CBA and all that, yeah. but uh, but but I know how passionate you are about the cross. So let's talk about something else I'm super passionate about, and you, you talk about it in terms of innovation, because I don't think this I don't think this pony's been put on parade yet. Because <laughs> let's talk about what are you going to do to me? Let's here? talk about here the BDX. we go. Let's talk about the. BDX. I was going to go. I've like got a list of questions we don't have time. About 
But let's go. We got to talk about the BDS. I'm going to drink some more of your bourbon now while he's asking this question. All right. So is that acceptable here? Absolutely. All right, so if you're if you're listening to this, and I think every man, woman, and child that is hunting in this country. If you shoot a PDX, you're going to want five. You're not going to want them on a rifle. But I'll let Tom tell you. What, what exactly reason, is the, the BDX why. system? So the BDX system is something that I think in a lot of ways revolutionized hunting. Um, you know, when we launched it a couple of years ago, we went to SHOT Show. We presented it to retailers. We presented it to media. We presented it to distributors and you know, big box, local retailers. Everybody immediately said, oh, my God, this is, this is going to revolutionize hunting. The fact that you, if you're not familiar with the BDX system. Oh, what is it? The fact that you I can take, take a range finder, range an animal, have that range finder, talk to your rifle scope, give you a, a holdover in your reticle that you can, whether you're shooting an animal you know, at, at zero, at your crosshair at 100 yards, or if it's 500 yards out and, and you're, you get a little dot that goes down your vertical uh, bar on your on your scope and it tells you exactly where to hold on that animal at 500 yards you know that was something that that should have revolutionized our industry what all of us six hour retailers media sort of underestimated was whether the average joe or jane is willing to accept technology so I've been using this optic at this, and I know what it does at this range, and I know it's going to work all the time. You know, is everybody going to, like, endorse that technology? And so it was a little bit of a slow burn. You know, our customers bought in millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of BDX optics, and we, we only sold millions and millions. So in some places, it was almost considered like it wasn't nearly as successful as everybody thought it was going to be very successful maybe not as successful as we thought it was going to be because people didn't they didn't necessarily say okay I'm, I'm going to trust this technology but for those who buy it and trust it and understand what it does and i know you're a little bit of a disciple i am a disciple you people you just, just don't understand you don't understand it's unbelievable and i and i talk about it with guys because I'm, I'm around a lot of high-end gun guys you know and i do a lot of hunting i say a lot of hunting i get i'm very fortunate i get to participate <laughs> in a lot you're of not over you're not over exaggerating <laughs> i get to pursue a lot of, participate in a lot of muzzleloader seasons and and the, the bdx is awesome for rifle right if you're going to shoot longer distances you gotta have it but for a muzzleloader guy you gotta have it that thing's dropping feet at 200 yards mm-hmm. yeah and so you, you think about this the system right like you, you, the alternative and what people have done in the past is they go out if they can afford it or if they have the, the access to get it they get a custom turret for their gun based mm-hmm. on the weight of the bullet the velocity and you know that caliber and that custom turret goes it says it's, it's 150 175 200 you know 250 this is the difference with the bdx first of all you didn't have to spend that kind of money to get that kind of performance Secondly, the math is already done for you. Your rangefinder is talking to your scope, and it's dialing you in not at 200, 225. If it's 217, if it's 223, yeah, there's 72 hold points. You got 72 hold points on the vertical. Exactly what that is, and it puts that kind of technology in the regular guy's hands. Because even if you don't have the turret, right? Like you're like me, Mark and Kenneth make fun of me. They still make fun of me, but for different reasons. I, my muzzle loader had a, I had a blue tape on it, and I had hand, you know, rode in 
you know, they're 200, 225 on my muzzle loader. Mm-hmm. Because, and it took, I'm going to just tell you, it took a lot of powder. I mean, I don't know if they used as much powder in the Civil War as I did to <laughs> sight in this gun. But I got it sighted in out to, you know, 250 yards. But it took a lot of shots and it took a lot of powder. So with the BDX, you sight that thing at 100 yards. You put the information in the app. It marries my rangefinder. It marries my scope. I took all the shots. You know, I took a four shots to get sighted in 100 yards. The next shot was 220 yards, bullseye. The next shot's 191 yards, bullseye. Yeah. And for, to, for the average guy, the average guy can sight their gun in 100 yards. And then all of a sudden, the average guy has got a 300-yard gun. Yeah. And that's crazy, right? And mm-hmm. that, is, that is just taking that long-range technology and it's putting it in the hands of, of everybody. And it's doing it. And when you start to look at the, the cost in those BDX scopes, people think they're going to be twice what they are. Oh, yeah. They're and very affordable. They're super affordable. And so, so the question that gets asked, and I'll, I'll say this to you because you and I have talked, what if my battery goes down? What if it fails? What's the fallback? It's still a scope. It still has a crosshair. You still should understand your, mm-hmm. your system well enough that you can make those adjustments if you... If you paid eight thousand dollars for an elk hunt and you're you're depending on the BDX system to make that four hundred and twenty seven yard shot and, and my BDX went down. I don't want to trust technology on, on that elk hunt when I've shot a, a standard scope for all these years and I know exactly what my holds are at this, that yeah. and the other thing and I've got my dope and I've got my blue tape you know, on my gun <laughs> or whatever you know, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you still have a scope. You still have a, a crosshair. You still have mill dots. You still have all these things within your right. your gun that you can fall back on uh, and just go back to that if that should happen. But the dependability of the system is extremely good. I mean, you've 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 shot a lot of stuff with a BDX scope, and how many times has it failed you? Zero. So it's zero. Good. And it, because honestly, not only does it, the app is so smart. Like, I don't know, you've got some, like, nerds back there that are just doing <laughs> oh, some Oh, we got some super, serious super nerds, nerds out in Oregon. More than anybody else in the so, industry. So yeah. here's, like, let me tell you a little, this is nerd stuff, because I'm, I'm totally into the BDX thing. So the BD, this is how the BDX works. So even if I put the information in, right, like, so the bullet that says it's going to do 2850, right? So I put it in, and I put 2850 in the app, and I shoot it. And then I take a shot at 300 yards. So you got to understand that your your app and the the thing's only as good as the information you put in it, right? So the chrono that I used, maybe it wasn't the best. Maybe it fell over a couple times in the shop, maybe. But it didn't give me the right the right numbers. So I shoot the gun at 100, then I shoot it, I punch everything and I shoot it at 300. It's supposed to be dead on. But it's not dead on because the chrono was wrong, right? I got bad information. The app fixes that. It asks you, was it high, was it low? I said it was high. You want inches or millimeters? I want inches. How high was it? Three inches. It backfills all the data, and now mm-hmm. it's dead on at every, at every range. Yeah. If you're worried about the battery, mm-hmm. there's two settings in the app, and I don't mean to be a BDX commercial, but there's two settings in the app that don't let you weigh your battery down. If you haven't been using the scope for a long time, it, it, you put a setting on there. You haven't used it in... Um, Five minutes, it shuts itself off. Right. If you're worried about it being mm-hmm. on too long and you didn't do the short setting, you can put a hard shut off at 30 minutes. Yeah. So, like, it, it's already got all these things in it to, to outthink guys like me that are going to screw stuff up. Yeah. And that's, that's what I like about it. I mean, we it, want it, that performance. It's so simple. You know, when, when the first time I shot the system, we were going out to a writer's event. We had a prototype system, and uh, we set up a course of fire with our product manager 
is going to be working with uh, some of the, the, the media members that we were, we were going to be hosting. And we set up 10-inch steel plates at 100, 200, 300, and 400 yards, 10-inch plates. Mm-hmm. So three, 400 yards, that's not an easy shot, right? And at 500, we had a silhouette target, so a little easier target. So I was the first one to get on the system before we had the riders do it. And our, our product manager was sitting there with me. And so he's ranging the target. So I shoot the 100 dead zero, you know, hit it, work the bolt, go out. He ranges. My dot moves down slightly. I hit the 200-yard target, 300-yard target, 400-yard target, you know, four shots, four hits. The dot's moving down the vertical as I'm, as I'm moving out and range. Right. And I got to 500 yards on the silhouette and hit. So I'm like, well, that was fun. And so he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do with the riders today, the media folks today. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, tell you, here's, your, here's how long it took you to do it. And so that took me 31 seconds to shoot five targets out to 500 yards. So if you're, if you're wow. turning your turret right. with, you know, your, your blue tape and your, your whatever, your dope or whatever, awesome. you're, not awesome. pro- you're probably not doing that in 31 seconds, right? Yeah. So I did it in 31 seconds. And he said, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, what was your hold at 500 yards? And I said, <laughs> I have no idea because I was looking at the dot. Right. All I did is focus on the yellow dot, drop down the vertical, put it on the middle of the silhouette target, pull my trigger, and hit virtually center mass at 500 yards. And I'm not some great guru, you know, long-range shooter, but, you know, I can pull a trigger good enough, but certainly not an expert. And so all these targets I'm hitting, you know, pretty much center mass at these ranges because the dot just is so easy. Yeah. put on the center of the target. And so he says, what was your holdover? And I had, of course, I had no idea. So I did this in 31 seconds. He said, so just so you know, the holdover at 500 yards is 31 inches. Wow. So, you know, you think, put your hands apart, 31, right. what you think right. 31 inches is, and you think about that's your drop at 500 yards. This was a 308, 716 that I was shooting, you know, which is not a known, you know, super long-range 500-yard rifle. It's, it's adequate, but, you know, it's not like a long-range rifle. But... I would have had no idea that my drop was 31 inches because I didn't even have to think about it. And I love having that, 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 that confidence in my rifle. But here's the thing. That's, it's kind of like a, like a, I don't know, it's an extra with my rifle, right? Like my, my rifle's going to shoot it in 100, you know, 100 yards, it's going to be an inch high, it's going to be a couple inches low at 200. And that's the average guy's hunting, right? Right. I don't take a lot of 500-yard shots with my rifle. I'd love to have True. that kind of confidence. But my muzzle loader. 100%, I might want to take a 150-yard shot. There's a ton of drop there. This thing gives me ultra confidence. And here's the other one. What about a crossbow? Uh, this year, shameless plug, Expedition's putting... You, you noticing a trend here, pattern? I, I, um. So Expedition could be, hey, it's not our fault for being smart. We're putting... Don't be ashamed of being smart, right? Right. We're putting a 2-8 to eight BDX on some of our crossbows. Because I don't, I mean, I don't want to get to the ridiculousness, but you can shoot accurately at 100 yards. Right. Do I want to take a lot of 100-yard shots on my crossbow? No. But I do want to be able to take 40, maybe 45-yard, maybe 50-yard shots on my crossbow. And I don't have to worry about, am I high or low on the line? Exactly yeah. what is that line? I hit it with the rangefinder, and whatever the dot is, that is going to be the dead center of that bullseye. Yeah. And that kind of confidence... Um, you think about how many people are hunting with their kid, you know, and maybe that thing's at 27 yards, and you don't want to, you don't want to tell your kid, do you shoot the 30 line or do you shoot the 20 line? Yeah. You shoot the dot. You range it, shoot the dot. Yeah. And that's what you want, and that kind of confidence, that that's super cool, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, yeah. 
I want to bring up something here. This is something we talk about in our industry a lot with technology. You've probably heard it as well, but it plays into what you're saying and what you're saying, Tom, is it, with technology, a lot of times we see it in the cell cam business a lot with Reveal. Shameless plug by Keith. No, that wasn't. I'm bringing up an actual, <laughs> I like controversy sometimes, but I, want, I, I have an answer for it, and you guys do it too as well. But we get the question a lot, how far is too far with technology? Mm-hmm. Well, in this situation, especially as a hunter in military, even more so, is I know for me personally, I want to take the most ethical shot possible. Of course. And so I'm answering my own question here, but do you guys get that much? I mean, when it comes to how far is too far? I mean, I've had guys tell me, well, you're cheating because we're used to dialing in dope and this and that. But even at that. Because the BDX system goes out to 800 yards. Yeah. Are you taking that 800-yard shot on a mule deer? Are you really taking that shot? And so, you know, you have to think that through. Is that is that the right shot? Yeah. If the system will, will accept 800 yards, but is that do you have the capability? Yeah. That's the big to, part. To, to do that. And so I think those are, are things. But but here's one of the, you know, so this is an exact answer to your question, but the BDX system, so let's say you're taking your kid out to, to teach him to hunt or shoot and you're using the BDX. You can set limits. So you can you can set the BDX system and say I'm not gonna I'm not if if this if I range this, and it's over X yards, you can say that the system's not gonna give you oh, wow. an opportunity to it's do like that. Like a governor. So I don't know if you knew, I don't know it's if got you parental control. I don't know I don't know if you knew I don't know if you knew the system did could do that. I did but, not. But you can you can control the level at which you're willing to reach out to. So I'm you say you know what? Like that, yeah, you're sitting there looking at a, a 425 elk at, at 687 <laughs> yards, and you know you have no business. You, know, you have no. You have don't. You don't have the capability. Daniel Horner can take that shot. Right. right. You know, I'm not taking that shot at, at 687 yards. But yeah. uh, the system will give you that that information. But you may want to set the system to say, you know what? No matter how big that elk is, or how big that animal is, or whatever the situation. No matter how good you think your rest is or how stable you are, mm-hmm. that's probably not an ethical shot. And so you can you can set the system to say, no, don't don't take that shot, dummy. You know. Yeah. So, but it's nice that it has the high end for the guys that can. I mean, we we ran into a situation there because obviously everything we do is on video. You know, a market ten ring this elk at like ninety one yards, and 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 you know we posted that up, and a lot of guys were like, that's awesome, and but some of the guys were like, oh no, that's that's. It's too far. It's too far. You shouldn't be shooting that far. But it goes back to what you said. You're talking about a guy that shoots every day for 25 minutes, 30 minutes a day at 60, 70, 80, 90 yards. I mean, not everybody can take corner four at Talladega, but somebody can. You know what I mean? And if you're set up for it, you should be able to do it. And the guy that can shoot 800, it's nice for him to have that option. Yeah. Well, I know when I was very new in the industry and and we had launched at the Smith & Wesson, the 500 and the 460 revolvers, the 460 had the capability to reach out a pretty long way for a handgun, right? Especially with like the 10-inch barrel. And so we decided we'd have this brilliant marketing campaign and, and call it the 300 Club. So who could, you know, send us your picture of your animal at 300 yards. Pretty quickly realized that was really stupid, <laughs> you know. Let's go challenge people to shoot animals with a handgun at 300 yards. Dom, we, dis- we discontinued the program almost as, as soon as we launched it. However, we had a pro shooter at Smith & Wesson named Doug Koenig. And if you know Doug Koenig, Doug can shoot anything from a, uh, archery to rifle. Yeah, he's a big hunter, right? Oh, Doug is a huge hunter. He actually uh, owns some land uh, out in, in Pike County, Illinois, and loves to hunt. He's, teach, he's taught his boys to hunt. And uh, 
you know, Doug has the capability. I know Doug has shot white-tailed deer in Pike County on his land at 325 yards with a handgun. Think about that. You know, 325 wow. yards with a handgun. But that's freaking Doug Koenig. If there's a Mount Rushmore of great professional shooters, Doug Koenig's probably That would set it. the keyboard warriors off, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so Doug can take that shot, and yeah. he knows he can make that shot. He's yeah. practiced it. He knows it. He knows he can make that shot. Joe Schmo may not be able to make a 325-yard yeah. shot with a handgun. It's just yeah. dumb. Yeah. And so you have to understand your capability. You know, Doug, you know, and he and I are still in very close touch, and uh, he shoots with Ruger now, and back in those days he was a Smith & Wesson for many years. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't unusual for him to take those kind of shots uh, on an on a animal the size of a white-tailed deer, but – that's freaking Doug Koenig, you know. Yeah. It's right. not. It's not. It's you got to know your limitations. Hunter. Yeah. And so that that makes the point is like, uh, you know, can you make that shot? Yeah. Is a gun capable of doing that? Is a is a Smith and Wesson 460 capable of making a 300 yard shot? It absolutely is. I practiced at 200 with a 460, and and that's not. Most people would say a handgun at 200 yards, even that is a challenging shot. I had a beautiful uh, whitetail in Pike County. Present itself at 240 yards on a TV camera behind over my shoulder one oh, time. Oh yeah, that thing will hurt you right there. And and you know it's that's definitely a challenge of it. But you know what? I I had it in my sights, in a blind, stable, 240 yards, and I and camera over my shoulder, and I pulled off. And some people might say, "Oh, you're you know you're a wimp for pulling off the shot," but I I decided not to take the shot, even though it was a a beautiful whitetail, Pike County, Illinois whitetail. And I said, you know what? It's not a shot I should take because I've, I've, I've yeah. practiced out to 200. I'm very comfortable with the shot, but I'm not going to take it. Yeah. I didn't take the shot. And I kind of regret it to this day, but it was the right decision at that time yeah. to not take that shot. Well, it's not, not morning, my capability. You may get your chance again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tomorrow morning, I need. You I got my rifle. I can, I can tell you it's on. So, I mean, it's yeah. all well, you. you it saw, doesn't go good. You saw my verification of zero today. You we were way off. You were half an inch to the right <laughs> and then half an inch high. I mean, I mean, you were within half an inch. I mean, that, that Doug Canning guy wouldn't appreciate that. So that was the second <laughs> shot. Where was the first shot? <laughs> dead center. Dead. It was, I, was, I shocked myself. Yeah. Dead center. But, uh, but no, it's, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to go. I'm uh, ready to go tomorrow morning. I want to mention a couple more things before we shut this thing, thing down because – we want to respect your time. You obviously got to hunt in the morning. Mm -hmm. I love to give our, our audience, list and audience takeaways from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. You've laid out some principles, deep-rooted principles, without even thinking about it, just because that's what y'all do. Um, I've been jot I got more notes jotted down over here that I want to ask, but we don't have time. We may have to have a round two someday. Anytime. But, but you've laid out some deeper-rooted principles of owning your mistakes, a lot of companies won't own up to that of own mistakes, and, and you're obviously a very successful company. Um, and so I have so much respect for that. I just wanted to mention that because a lot of our listening audience who's trying to live their passion or get in and start their own business or whatever, mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to do to own your mistakes. But when you can and fix them and make it right, obviously that leads to success. Um, one question I had was in, we're in January 2021, crazy times it feels like. From a SIG standpoint, what has it been like for you? People can't find ammo anywhere. Obviously, guns are selling faster than you can make them, I would mm -hmm. assume. Um, what do you feel like we're, we're living in right now in January 2021? From your perspective personally or from SIG's perspective, however, yeah. however you want to answer that. What does it look like for you? What is the future? If you, could, if you could guess today, what does it look like six months from now? What would you tell someone who's listening? 
well, obviously we've been trying to figure this out for several months. You know, what, what is, what does it look like? Where does it end? You know, the, in the gun industry, oddly, the market started turning around and, and, and selling briskly sort of in like pre election right. buzz or whatever, probably in October of 19. Yeah. So before COVID, the gun industry was, was starting to really spin up and sell a lot of product. Ammunition was selling well. And then obviously when COVID started, it sort of spun the roulette well, if you will, really fast. And like guns are selling like crazy. And, and uh, we, you know, we didn't know if that was going to last one month or two months or three months or whatever. And then we had the, the uh, sort of unrest with the riots and George Floyd and all those things. And that spun the roulette well again. And gun sales like, okay, this thing's going to go on for a while. And, and then so obviously it lasted for all of 2020. And we were trying to look at our crystal ball of 2021 and said, does this, we knew what our backlog was. And we said, does this run for three months into 2021, six months or 12 months? Or when does this thing start to slow down? And so the election didn't tell us a lot because things didn't slow down much, even though we were a little nervous. You didn't and tell ge- the people in the election a lot. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's for, that's for sure. And then, and then January 5th, you know, when, when we had the runoffs in Georgia, and obviously those elections didn't go the way the conservatives would have liked. And so people began to get a little more uncomfortable. And then immediately on the heels of that, um, you know, we had the situation at the Capitol. Right. And I think people are so scared for their personal safety, their freedoms, and all those things that come with, with um, uh, owning a gun, the Second Amendment, and all those things. So we don't even, it's surreal. Yeah, and when you look at the attacks that's, that are going on, and we've been sitting here in this you know lodge today. There's a TV in the corner, and the news is on, and we're just watching the the, the threats to the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and all those things. Where does this end? Yeah. And and when does this fear stop? And when you think about the fact that you know we, we've 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 just blown past eight million new gun owners, forty percent of which are women, and so on. So you start reading the statistics. And they want to get trained. They want to do it the right way. Our backlog on our most popular products, a P320, a P365, our ammunition, our, our uh, you know, modern sporting rifles. I don't want to exactly give you the statistics on what our backlog is right now, but it's frightening. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if you're a consumer and you go into a gun store, you might see a gun that was ordered several months ago. So it may show up on the shelf. Right. Because that dealer or that retailer put an order in six months ago or eight months ago. So you're going to see guns and ammunition hit the shelf and then it goes like that. Yeah. You know, so it goes really quickly. But if you order a gun today on our popular products, guns are about a year out. Wow. And ammunition, we can't even calculate what the backlog is. Yeah. And that's, it's that way across the industry. It is. And so it's, it is a surreal situation and I don't even understand how to tell you where it ends because yeah. the fear is real yeah. and we i think we've seen it that you know we we how uh, promptly can the police respond defund the police riots conservatives liberals yeah. we don't know what's going on right now so all we can do is is we have ramped our factory up we're supplying as many products as we can from the ammo side, 
the gun side, the optic. And our, our optics business is off the charts because yeah. obviously people are between red dot optics on handguns and ARs. It's off the charts. And so you know, we, don't, we don't really even understand where it ends. Um, I do think people are trying to responsibly own guns. So many of the people, 68% or some number in that range, are saying they want to take training. Wow. To understand how to use a handgun or a rifle. So whatever they're buying, they're actually, in most cases, saying whether they're doing it or not or whether they can actually get into a class, which is another issue. <laughs> you know, can yeah. you get into a class? You, you sign up for a class today, you may be months. So you just bought a gun. You, 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 you're, you, know, you have the vision of the guy looking down the barrel trying to figure out which, you know, how to shoot a gun, which is right. you know, very dangerous. And so can they even take a class to understand how to use that, that gun properly and, and how to defend yourself? So it's a really strange, surreal time we're living in. And, uh, you know, people say, why aren't you making guns? <laughs> we're making a lot of guns. Yeah, and a lot of ammo. But it just it hits a shelf and it, it guns, ammo, optics, especially defensive optics. It, they're pre, in most cases, they're pre-sold. So if you're Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo walking into a gun store and you weren't on a waiting list or whatever, sometimes those guns aren't even hitting the shelves because somebody's on a waiting list and they're held in the back of the store and you walk into a gun store and the shelves are empty and they think we're not making guns anymore. Yeah. Well, we're making more guns than ever, more ammo than ever, more optics than ever. But they're gone so fast. Yeah. Who knows? It's it a really it it's a really strange world we're living in right now and we're in completely uncharted waters and unprecedented times to understand how long this goes, when does it end? Cuz we've never felt more, you know, whether it was political pressures, 9/11, Y2K, Katrina, <laughs> yeah. all those things caused surges because yeah. people got a little nervous. And and if you're living in Minnesota and, and you watch Katrina, you might have gone out and bought a gun because you're like, oh, wow, a natural disaster can happen. Well, there's not a lot of hurricanes in Minnesota last <laughs> time I checked. Right. But today, obviously Minnesota looks at things differently. Yeah. Like what happened in Minneapolis. There's war zones. Yeah. And so Americans don't know what to do. And as manufacturers, all we can do is try to you know, keep up with the demand and, and uh, you know, try to be as polite as we can. We say, why aren't you making more guns? Because we are. We're making more than ever, but you can't keep yeah, up. Yeah. If, if I learned anything about yourself and as well as Ron, you're not going to stop. No. You're no, going to keep trying it's, uh, to meet we are, the demand. Uh, I don't want to share a lot of numbers, but, you know, if you think we, we aren't upping our production. And, you know, the, the dilemma for us is we utterly and absolutely have to keep up with our military contracts. I mean, yeah. the U.S. military doesn't say, oh, sure, just go sell some guns to the commercial market. That's not what they say. Right. They say, you owe us this many M-17s, this many M-18s. And, you know, three years ago when we started working on a military contract for P-365s for Thailand and they order a, a large uh, quantity of P-365s, and guess what? That contract, we had to start delivering on it in March of 2020. <laughs> You know what happened in March of 2020? <laughs> really unfortunate time to win a huge military contract yeah. in Thailand. Yeah. But you can't say, you know what, Mr. Thailand, we're not going to ship those guns to you. <laughs> because they've, they've, they've trusted us to deliver guns for their military. Yeah. And so it's really unfortunate. And so we have to balance being a large military supplier with, you know, with uh, trying to fulfill as many needs as we can in the commercial market in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. I know you guys are doing a phenomenal job, man. And Absolutely. I know, I know we need to wrap this thing up. We kept you longer than we were planning. 
Tom, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. Yes, thank you. And no, talking, it's been a blast. And talking with us. we got to have a round two. I'm in. Maybe we need to start earlier sometime because at the time of this well, recording. If you get it done the first yeah, night is, on your deer, we'd is, have more time. If, yeah, I, killed, really Tom's if, fault. if I killed a deer today, I'd Tom's be fault. much more enthusiastic right now. But no, i got to get up in about five hours to go out and uh, start over again. You know, yeah. It's a little dicey, but uh, yeah. no, I'd love to come back and talk some more. Yeah. This is uh, well, we love the partnership we have here and uh, – you know, we love the new hunting relationship, and it's just it's opened so many uh, doors. And I love the defensive world and everything we've done. But uh, but for me personally, getting out and doing the, yeah. the hunts is uh, uh, something I enjoy doing. And uh, I've done less of it since I've been at SIG. But, uh, but I, I, <laughs> Time, I love, them I times be changing. It. I'm ready. <laughs> for sure. Well, Tom, thanks again for coming on. Chris, as always, you're always my co-host when you're available. <laughs> He's not available very often, but yeah. when he is, he's co I enjoy it very much. I'm so honored to be here with Chris. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yep. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up. Again, you've been listening to VP of Six Hour, uh, Mr. Tom, Chris Cobbett, Executive VP of Expedition Enterprises. And this has been an absolute joy, man, just to sit hear some conversation. We're going to wrap this up. Until next time, peace out and peace God bless. Out. Peace out. Bye.